Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So while the world may be spinning and burning out of control and doing all the madness, there are things happening close to home that matter. Don't get me wrong, the UK making the statement that they're going to do away with the insane draconian laws that they built out for COVID because, well, they got to rethink the whole thing. This is very, very important. I would love it if Hoosier Schools took a page from this and said, yeah, masks are dumb. The idea that a mask is going to stop a child from getting COVID is simply a falsehood. It's a fantasy. Masks stop something. They don't stop COVID. We know this. Get kids out of masks. And if you you want to talk about a great piece of audio, I don't know if you heard this or not. This student out of Ohio just taking her school board to town. Now, usually I don't like it when they put the students out there and you know, they were clearly coached, and, and it's it's just all sorts of, like, like using your kid as a shield. It, oh, I find that gross. But this, this was sensational. Thank you for teaching students that our own mental health is much less important than making triple vaccinated adults feel safe. Thank you for teaching me that even the most minute risk is not worth taking. Life is best when you take the path of least resistance with no chance of failure and definitely no chance of catching a cold. Oh my, that's a high schooler crushing it. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is so good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Find everything at TonyKatz.com for people who've been asking the morning rumble at rumble.com. So go to rumble.com slash Tony Katz. That's, that's all you do. I'll, I'll do it right now with you. Rumble.com slash Tony Katz. And the next day, oh, there I am. We got a whole new page. We got so many cool things uh, going on uh, over there. A daily video series now over at rumble.com presented by Americans for Prosperity. Just, just, just adding it on, people. But this student is just, just fantastic. School boards should be spoken to in this way so they understand that they're not doing anybody any good when they're afraid and take their fears and apply them to other people. Thank you for not reaching out to the students to ask how we feel about masks, because if you did, the majority of students would say that they hate masks, and then you might second guess your decision to make us wear them. Thank you for allowing me to experience the anxiety associated with never seeing facial expressions. Thank you for teaching us that we should never question authority or think critically, but instead we should follow whatever the people in charge tell us to do. Obedience is best. I realize now that thinking for yourself is overrated and not really necessary when you can just make decisions based on fear. Thank you for pushing your irrational fears and anxieties on me because I didn't already have enough to worry about. I realize now how easy it, I had it when I only had to worry about my classes, my grades, SAT, and getting into college. Thank you for teaching me that being a morally superior person only requires that I cover my face for eight hours a day. Come on, that's excellent. That is excellent and spectacular, and school boards deserve this. Well, maybe I should say it differently. Maybe I shouldn't say deserve this. They certainly shouldn't be allowed to think that they can't hear this. 
They think of themselves as special flowers. How dare you raise your voice to me? That's not raising your voice. I talk like this. Is this raising your voice? Because I'm not going to be told to quiet down. You listen up. That's how this works. And if it's too much for you, go work at Dairy Queen. A, they're hiring. And B, well, people might still yell at you, but that's only when, you know, the, the, the blizzard falls out. You turn it upside down, it falls out. Like, oh, my gosh. It's supposed to be tougher than that. Oh, no, no. I thought that, I thought it was really good. She, she's got more. I'll, maybe, maybe I'll share more of it later. I shared it earlier. It, it's, it's terrific. But there are things going on locally. And I only wish there was more of this getting rid of the masks and getting on to real life and actually taking care of students thing happening. But there are some things going on locally that matter, that affect our lives. And one of these things, the story at WIBC.com is about the Indiana Attorney General, Todd Rokita. Indiana and 15 other states supporting Roncalli High School's doctrine on same-sex marriage. So this story bases out of Indianapolis. This story is a story for all Hoosiers, for all of Indiana. This is a story for all of America. So Rokita filed an amicus brief, which supports Ron Colley and the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. It's about their right to uphold church teachings on same-sex marriage and have that be part of their hiring and firing decisions. A couple years back, Lynn Starkey was a guidance counselor at Roncalli in a same-sex marriage. Roncalli and the Archdiocese firing, or I should say Roncalli, fires Starkey. She files suit against Roncalli and the Archdiocese. A federal court rules in Roncalli's favor, and Starkey has appealed, uh, sent an appeal to the Seventh U.S. Circuit. Now, understand that I believe that in uh, underneath this is the conversation about school choice. To wit, I am an absolute defender of school choice. I believe that it is 101 regarding the parent's right to ensure the best for their child. So I'm a big believer in edchoice.org. I think they do absolutely positively sensational work in just breaking it down. They're not playing politics. They're just breaking down why school choice provides value. If you don't know anything uh, about the the group, check it out for yourself. edchoice.org. These people are sensational. Again, not about politics. There are plenty of people who don't agree with me on politics who agree with me on school choice school choice is extremely important school choice is how you allow people to go about their best course and parents want that republicans and democrats libertarians doesn't matter they want that and i think that they should get it We'll disagree about the other things. We don't have to disagree about this thing. It's your kid. You decide. And as a follow-up, it's your money. It's your money and you decide. It is here in the idea of the money that I believe this has become a story. Because there are those people who don't believe that the money should belong to the kid. They think the money should go to the institution. I believe the money should follow the child. The money should follow the child.
That's who it's earmarked for. That's who it's there for. Not some big, beautiful building. Not some teachers union. Not some administration fat cat. The kid. And if you can take a look at these private institutions and religious institutions where they follow religious teachings and see that that goes against what uh, your, your, uh, your union and others believe in, well, you want to put an end to that. Go after that. Attack that. Because what you really want to attack is the idea that these institutions can exist to begin with. That is what I believe is the underpinning of so many of these things. In this case, um, Lynn Starkey, uh, uh, Shelley Fitzgerald, who are in this relationship, I believe that they, they feel that they were fired inappropriately. As I remember the story, there was indeed a contract uh, that stated as much in terms of what it is they teach and going against uh, the teachings, which was another interesting thing in this case. Because when this happened, when this happened, you saw Ron Colley students protesting in favor of Starkey and, and Shelley Fitzgerald. I think Shelley Fitzgerald was the more uh, uh, famous name. She was the one who ended up on Ellen, on her show, and, and things like that. And I asked myself at the time, do these kids know they go to a Christian school? They're protesting. They're, they're saying, how dare you? Uh, you, sh- you should allow this. What a great counselor, this, that, and the other. The, the argument is not whether or not she's a great counselor. If she's a great counselor, she's going to get another job. Just not there. That's the argument. That the religious institutions, the religious schools have a right to teach as they see fit, and they have a right to the dollar that should follow the child. <gasps> now you see how all that ties together. In the amicus brief, the Attorney General for Indiana, Todd Rokita, tells the court, quote, there's a, and I'm quoting here, clear pattern of judicial precedent affirming the autonomy of religious institutions in making employment decisions regarding their ministers, including staff members at religious schools. Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, Georgia, Idaho, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Utah, and West Virginia are all in this coalition. Understand that New York and Illinois and California not being in this coalition. Well, that's about an unwillingness to protect the student. I think there's a real important move here that has to be made regarding how this plays out. You see, they're going to take a look at them and attacking the South as they do and attacking the Midwest as they do. They're going to say, oh, look at all those backward states. Look at all those bigoted states. That's what they're going to say. They won't understand and won't accept the conversation of free speech. They won't accept the conversation of religious liberty. They won't accept the conversation uh, that the money should go with the student. They hate all of those things. So they go, bigot. Why look into the depths of a conversation, the details of a conversation, when you just claim bigotry? Isn't that what Joe Biden did in his press conference? Oh, my God, what a bad press conference. <laughs> Isn't that exactly what Joe Biden did in his speech in Georgia? If you're not with me on, on, on this voting rights legislation, well, you're just like Bull Connor, who was a Democrat and a segregationist and a bad dude. 
No conversation about this isn't really about voting rights. This is about the federalization of elections, and elections belong to the states. Why are we going about this? You want to have mail-in balloting, but here's the issue with mail-in balloting. When you're sending ballots to people who never asked for them in multiple copies, that's where you're increasing the possibility of fraud. Same thing with not having voter ID laws, and we know this from the Europeans and a host of others. Where they've tried these things, they failed, and they've made the changes. Why are we somehow thinking that human nature is any different? We should limit to the best of our ability the concept and the ability and and the, and the moments for fraud. That's how the rational person does it. The political left screams bigot. If you're not with us, you're going to destroy democracy. And yes, as I have proven today, it is undoubtedly true that Joe Biden undermined elections in the United States saying, well, we don't win. Well, that's how you know there was fraud. He did it. Jim Clyburn did it. The political left did it. They're the ones undermining faith in elections. Period. So they're going to call all these states, oh, just a bunch of racists. The question that has to be asked of those opposed is why do you hate children? I'm not interested in the child haters. I believe that the money should follow the child. And I believe that that schools and religious institutions that engage schools should be able to teach as they see fit. And the people who want to go there, it's their money. It goes with them. Now, it's not all their money because there's certainly taxpayer money that goes uh, to schools. It goes with the student, not with the institution. That's where it goes. Now... If you want to do away with uh, society paying for, for public school, oh, okay. But then I, get, I don't have to pay any more property taxes, do I? Because, man, do I hate me some freaking property taxes. I can't. Property taxes are the most obscene thing we do in America. I own a house, but I don't actually own it. Because if I don't pay the state a certain amount of dollars each and every year, they could take the house that I purchased. If I have a $200,000 house and I purchase it cash, if I don't pay, pay the property tax, they take the thing that I paid for in private contract. What the hell? Am I the only person who noticed the property taxes are criminally insane? They're fakakta nuts? We have to find a whole new way whole new way to pay for education. And maybe that whole new way involves putting an end to education as we have it right now. Maybe we need to do away with the unions and these insanely large buildings and get into, well, you know, back to an education that actually provides value. One man's thesis, one man's theory. That's all I've got for you. So this case is very interesting. It is about religious freedom. It is about parental control. It is about where the money flows. There's a lot here. And we are going to follow every last bit of it. But if the Republicans don't learn how to say these people hate children, why do you hate children? I don't look, I don't know why they hate kids. And then just go into the thing. I don't know why they hate children. And then go into the thing. I support parents deciding for their child what is best. And I don't understand these people over here who hate children. And then go into your thing. If you don't start every conversation with that. If you don't start with that. You can't properly fight. 
Everyone talks about how, you know, Trump taught the political right to fight. Trump still teaching the political right how to fight. Some people on the political right just won't do it. They just won't do it. They simply they simply can't see their way uh, d- down the field. They're, they're afraid to, oh, it'll make me look mean or this, that. No. These people who don't believe that the, mom, the single mom has the right to choose what's best for their kid, they don't believe it. They don't believe that the single mom has rights. They don't believe that the single mom should matter. They don't believe that the single mom counts. I mean, let's get to it. They don't believe that the, that the family with two parents counts either. They don't believe that the family with two gay parents counts either because maybe they're not sending their kid to Ron Colley, but maybe they want to send their kid to a charter school. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't pay for the union that supports our candidacy. How dare you, you traitor. So that's why you say, I don't know why these people hate kids. I don't know why so-and-so hates children. I don't know why so-and-so hates students. I don't know why so-and-so hates single mothers who are deciding the best for their child. And who else can be more qualified than the mom to decide what's best for their child? Am I right or am I right? I mean, what are you going to do? Go against moms? And then go into your conversation. Man, I keep trying to teach these people. One day they're going to learn. Find the story at WIBC.com. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. I was uptight, Purdue, they're the favorite tonight against IU. Taking place at Assembly Hall. Uh, Josh, he's in for producer Ari today. Uh, you, you, got a, you got a contender here? You got a pick for this uh, IU-Purdue uh, game? Uh, Boilermakers are ranked fourth in the nation, and IU is just looking uh, killer right now. Uh, who's your pick? What do you got? Purdue, Purdue by Purdue by what? Ten, and only because it's at Assembly Hall. It's been five years since IU beat Purdue. It is IU just doesn't beat Purdue, and it won't happen tonight either. Purdue is a three point five favorite, three and a half point favorite. The over under is one forty four. You the over, the you the under. Uh, I'll go over just because life's too short to bet the under. But I'm definitely, what? I'm definitely life's too short to bet the under. You're like nine and a half years old. What are you talking about? <laughs> It's more fun to bet on more points. Okay, I'm going with the under. I that that's my take. Um, I would also pick Purdue by ten. By ten. That's bold, son. What can I tell you? I mean, nothing I've seen suggests that they can score enough points. Bold. I don't know if it's by ten. I don't know if I'm good enough to make that pick. But I, I also pick Purdue. Uh, that said, IU wins. Dude, you're going to see them top 25. Like, you're going to see them skyrocket in people's eyes. Probably. It's going to be a good game. Someone should get me tickets. That's all, That's all I'm saying. You don't have to worry about Josh, but, but someone should get me tickets. This is Tony Katz today. A supermajority of Republicans, and it is very doubtful we will see lawful carry pass in Indiana for the second time. Meanwhile, the House is passing a bill to restrict workplace vaccine mandates. No saying yet what the Senate will do. It seems to be that the Senate is a very different animal than the House here in the General Assembly in Indiana. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you on Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, on Twitter, and on Getter at Tony Katz, T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z, the same as Instagram. Abdul Akeem Shabazz joins me right now from IndiePolitics.org, and he follows the State House because 
because, you know, he hasn't learned how to have a hobby yet. <laughs> well, I do have a hobby, It's uh, but I'm doing dry January, so I got to deal with the legislature instead, old friend. Oh, that is, that, that is sad. There are a couple things I do want to get to, including what could be a fascinating uh, fight in Marion County. But let's start with this one-two punch right here. Let's start with the vaccine mandate restrictions. Uh, the House agreeing that... We support private business, but maybe private business can go too far. What's their rationale for moving forward on the legislation? Well, the House's res- uh, their rationale was basically that an individual uh, should not lose their job because basically they're not vaccinated, in a nutshell. And so what they decided to do was carve out some exemptions to the employer vaccine mandate. Uh, number one, which of course you have a medical exemption uh, or natural immunity exemption if you uh, had COVID within a certain amount of time and you can uh, prove it to your boss, you don't have to get the vaccine shot. And also uh, the religion exemption uh, as well. So those are basically the three uh, exemptions that they decided to, to put in. Now, uh, it, it passed like 57-35. It was interesting because people were the people who voted against it either were against it uh, altogether just on philosophical grounds, or B, they didn't think it went far enough. So you had folks like Jim Lucas, uh, Kurt Nicely, John Jacobs, the, the sort of ideological right in the, in the legislature, kind of the far right in the legislature, basically vote no, but it still went forward. Uh, now, we don't know what's going to happen over on the Senate side of things, because we'll probably have a better idea a little bit later this afternoon when we talk to uh, Senate President Pro Tem Rod Bray. Uh, but the Senate has been very, very hesitant to, to sort of get in the, in the way of businesses kind of doing their thing. Getting in the way of business, is, of course, the bothersome part, certainly for people uh, like, like myself that believe that businesses have rights, but sometimes uh, those rights uh, overextend. On the Senate side, and I'm a believer that, that the right uh, to say, hey, you have to take a vaccine overextends because it, it, it engages the person outside of their workplace. On the Senate side, I have not gotten a good read on where, on where they are on this legislation. Is it a question of where they are and what the House has put forward? Or is it where they are on their own view of this and they're going to put forth a bill and then can these two things reconcile? Well, what the Senate has done is they passed, uh, they're in the process of passing legislation right now uh, that would just basically eliminate, uh, remove the, it would, it would pass the things the governor needed to, to lift the emergency order. That's it. There, there's nothing in there about uh, employee exemptions whatsoever. And so that's where it gets interesting because it's not like the Senate wants to spend a billion dollars, the House wants to spend two billion, okay, we'll compromise the 1.5 billion. I mean, this is either, either you have the, uh, the employer uh, vaccine exemptions or you don't. And so that's why it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, once the House, you know, the House sends this bill over this week, once the Senate gets done, and then how do they, how do they reconcile the two, if they do at all? Because they're two different things. Talking to Abdul Akim Shabazz from IndyPolitics.org, they're two very different things. This whole idea of extending out or, or creating, codifying the rules of Governor Holcomb's emergency mandates, which is very strange because why don't you just keep doing emergency mandates? We're, we now are going to have all of the rules of the emergency mandate, but somehow not have the emergency mandate, and that makes a difference. That's a weird bit of wordplay and, and shell game going on from the Senate, it seems, but it certainly isn't what the House has passed. Right. And like I said, that's why it's going to be interesting to see what compromise can they reach if they can reach a compromise at all. Now let's move it on to this firearms legislation. This is the second time, and it's the second verse, same as the first, man, where it gets through the House, the idea of lawful carry. Last year, the Senate put it in a drawer. They, they killed it in committee. Nobody would admit who did what. Everybody wants to make their claim, and nobody wants to actually take any ownership of it. It looks like they're trying to do this again 
where they don't want a system by which the Constitution is our permit. You don't have to get any special permits to carry a firearm. You still do a background check. That still happens. That still takes place. Um, Why is the Senate opposed to this? Well, I think part of it is it has to do with law enforcement. And uh, for for like Judge Keaton said, sort of the 30,000-foot level, it is is law law enforcement has some concerns about uh, permitless carry. For example, if, if they pull you over during a traffic stop, and you, and you got a gun sitting on the front seat of the car. There's those questions like, you know, do you own it lawfully or not lawfully? And there's a, there's a, there's an automatic assumption that it's unlawfully unless there's something else going on, which, like I said, again, it gets into the into the lawyer weeds of things. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the Senate does, because I know there was got to be a contentious hearing uh, earlier this week, and uh, one of the Democrats on the committee uh, basically said, okay, if we don't need a if you don't need a, a permit to exercise your constitutional right, then why do you need an ID to vote? Which I thought was kind of an interesting sort of sort of back and forth here on the, on this whole issue of uh, uh, constitutional carry. If you don't, if you don't need a say, to, say that again. The the what the, what the, what the Democrat had brought up during during the committee here, and he kind of said it sort of tongue in cheekly, but I thought it was an interesting point, saying that if you don't need a permit to exercise your Second Amendment rights, you know, because the Constitution is your permit, then why do you need an ID to vote? Saying. Uh, basically, the idea being you no know, voter ID and that whole sort of thing. So wow, wait—that's the kind of argument that holds in the General Assembly. Well, no, it was just—it was sort of a tongue-in-cheek sort of back and forth. While the, while the committee was kind of getting out of control and and people had to sort of calm folks down because somebody had got up and yelled, "Hey, if the if the committee chairman doesn't you know give us our Second Amendment rights, we're going to go ahead and you know primary challenge her." It just sort of it sort of devolved into this to this thing the other day. Well, you know the the, the problem with with those kinds of things. To Evolving into a kind of thing is that people say things that they consider to be uh, intellectual but aren't. You're still doing a background check. You're providing far more than just an ID. Now, you tell me you want to have background checks to vote, and I will be all in it. Put me right next to that Democrat arm in arm, smoking cigars all the way across America, <laughs> saying you need a background check to vote. Now we're talking about something. You know what? You know what, there, Abdul? You turned me around. I now favor background checks to vote. If I need a background check to engage my Second Amendment rights. You need a background check to vote. Hot diggity, we're solving problems, Abdul. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it, 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 it'll get interesting because, uh, once again, uh, lawmakers have to have a few more days left to get things out of committee uh, before before the deadline hits. I want to say, like, the end of next week, I think it is, next Thursday. Uh, if, it's, if, it's gonna get out, if the bills are going to get out of committee, they have to be out of committee by, the, by next Thursday of next week. Now, one of the interesting pieces of, of legislation that you're looking at uh, is House Bill 1109. You can find the story at IndyPolitics.org. If implemented, it would prevent distributors of packaged non-alcoholic beverages with a weight volume of eight ounces or more from offering different sales prices to retailers, seasonal promotions, and other discounts to Indiana retailers unless they are extended to every store in the state. What is the impetus for this? Uh, basically, what's going on is it was a bill was introduced by Ed Soliday, who's from uh, up in northern Indiana, uh, because he's got a constituent who is in sort of in, like in the grocery store, convenience store business, and the constituent he's tried this for like two, three years now, and what the constituent has basically said is like, hey Ed, you know I'm tired of the of the of the of the non of the of the carbonated beverage folks saying hey they're going to charge me more or charge like Walmart or Target less, even though it's a whole different sort of business model when you're buying it and that kind of bulk, you can give people a bit of a break on the price. Is going to buy so much more, and so what Ed Soliday's constituent basically said is, "Hey, I want the same deal as Walmart 
and target. Like I said, he's tried this a couple of times in the past. It hasn't gone through. But this time, it actually got out of uh, got out of the committee uh, eight to four. But three of the Republicans who voted yes said, basically, I'm going to vote to move this out of committee, but I'm not sure if I'm going to vote for it in, in full form on the floor. And so I got some concerns about the bill, that sort of thing. What, what I thought was kind of interesting about that was the fact that here are my Republican friends who are supposed to be you know, kind of pro-business and kind of pro-free market, you know, engaged in what's almost sort of like, for lack of a better term, socialism. <laughs> Well, well, so you're because what you're talking about is price controls. You know, uh, the, hey, you got to you got to offer it the same all the way around. And I wouldn't know off the top of my head where else they could pull from where this kind of thing happens. No, my immediate is this is nuts. It doesn't mean I like it in, in terms of charging different prices, different places from from the wholesaler. I'm saying that I don't want to get into what it is these businesses, uh, these wholesalers have to sell to other people, too. It's an interesting story at IndiePolitics.org. But let's get to the big one that is actually really focused on Marion County. But I think this has some national implications. It's the idea that Ryan Mears, the prosecutor, is running for for re-election. Marion County prosecutor. Then you have... Uh, this woman who, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing her name, name right, Cindy Carrasco. Yeah. Who is also running for Marion County Prosecutor. Are we about to see a real fight for a race for a, prosec- for a prosecutor, which normally would just be a fight, but in a nation with increased violence, increased murder rates, and Indianapolis's murder rate rivaling the rest of the country, this all of a sudden becomes a big deal about who's the more law and order person. Uh, it's going to be an interesting race, to say the least, uh, because Marion County is uh, is probably a, a Democratic county. However, with the way the crime has been over the past couple years, uh, that has really sort of eaten into uh, a lot of things for a lot of folks. Uh, particularly, crime is happening in places where it normally does, and people are worried and or uh, worried or concerned about it. So you got to have an interesting race. So I think I think uh, Cynthia's Hill is a little bit is maybe a little bit less steep than it normally is, even though Marion County does lean. Uh, Democratic. Now, what's going to be interesting, though, is Ryan Mears just filed his campaign finance report. He's got about $215,000 uh, in the bank. Cynthia, she just filed, she just announced this week, so nothing to report from, from last year. But it'll be interesting to see how much money she can raise and how fast and quickly she can raise it. And uh, does her message you uh, see, does her message resonate? You see, I, I, I want you to know right now that Abdul often speaks in code. can cynthia get the money to run a race that's not what he means what he means is can republicans see their way clear to actually backing a candidate with dollars to prove that a tougher on crime stance works and if it works for the marion county prosecutor maybe it'll work for the mayor's race tell me that's not what you're saying well, I think she can raise money uh, because number one, she used to work for uh, Governor uh, Eric Holcomb, uh, and their campaign and her campaign headquarters are oddly enough in the same place as Republican, uh, same Republican Party headquarters are. And I know uh, Joe Elsner, uh, who's a good friend, I've known Joe go God forever, uh, has made it, has made the prosecutor's race a, a priority uh, in this particular in this particular uh, sort of uh, midterm election season. And so you have enough, and so. The, 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 it depends on whether the planets are in alignment. It really does because you got enough people who are not happy with the crime issue. Now, do they? Now, the question would be: Do they blame Ryan Mears? Do they take it out on Ryan Mears? Because if they do, then that totally changes the dynamics of the mayor's race next year and our council races next year.
It depends on whether or not Hamilton County and Boone County Republicans who used to go to downtown and spend some money are willing to write a check to have a safe city to go back to downtown to. And I, and I think they are, because I was actually, I moderated an event uh, last night for the state treasurer's race uh, over at, over out in Speedway, and it was uh, done in part with uh, Marion County Young Republicans and Hendricks County Young Republicans, and uh, Cynthia Caruso was there, like I said, you know, sort of work in the room. So I think, I think she gets it. Now, like I said, the question is, you know, will people be willing to open up their pockets? I think if they think there's a chance of winning, I think there will be. And that'll happen, uh, I'd say, probably sometime after the primary and everybody's all nice and slated. Abdul Hakeem Shabazz, IndiePolitics.org. I appreciate taking the time. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. You've spoken exclusively with Ukrainian official about Biden's comments. What did they tell you? Well, I mean, to say, Erin, that they were displeased when they heard those comments would be an understatement. One of the officials that I spoke to said that he was shocked when he heard President Biden draw a distinction between an incursion and an invasion and to suggest that if there was some kind of minor, rather, incursion into Ukrainian territory, uh, then that would be treated differently and elicit lesser sanctions than a a major invasion. It's, it's, It's not the kind of nuance we've heard before. It's certainly something Ukrainian officials say they've never heard spell that to them, although I understand it's that kind of sliding scale of sanctions depending on the seriousness of the Russian action. Anybody who thinks Joe Biden has a handle or an understanding of foreign policy is out of their minds. Of all the things that we discussed today, and and certainly we got into this, it's hard to remove yourself from the realization that what Biden said last night in his press conference is just... It's, it's not just unacceptable. It was insane. The idea of saying that, you know, you think Putin's going to, to move on, on, on Ukraine. But that if it's a minor incursion, eh, whatevs. Really? What he's going to do. My guess is he will move in. He has to do something. I think he still does not want any full-blown war, number one. Number two, do I think he'll test the West, test the United States and NATO as as, uh, significantly as he can? Yes, I think he will. But I think he'll pay a serious and dear price for it that he doesn't think now will cost him what it's going to cost him. And I think he'll regret having done it. it. Russia will be held accountable. If it invades, and it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, etc. But if they actually do what they're capable of doing with the force of mass on the border, it is going to be a disaster for Russia if they further engage. So they can do the minor incursion and get away with it? What's the minor incursion? Taking New Jersey? What the bloody hell is a minor incursion? Ukrainian officials are indeed out of their heads. World leaders have got to be like, oh, crap. You know who probably, you know what, in the bed? Taiwan. The leader of the free world, when that used to, when that used to matter, I guess. 
just said that minor incursions are just fine. Is that right? Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. If a minor incursion is just fine, that's how China feels about putting 100,000 troops into Taiwan. It's how Russia feels about taking Kiev. It's about how Iran feels with destroying Israel. Just a minor incursion. No one in the history of foreign policy ever thought minor incursions were no big deal. That doesn't mean that there haven't been moments throughout foreign policy history that minor incursions were left untouched. Do you see the difference? Minor incursions have happened since the beginning of time. Not everything was the growth of the Ottoman Empire. But an American president inviting a minor incursion said, yeah, that's cool by us. He's a dangerous, ignorant man. Not because I say so, but because he did. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.